what what a pair of real weak-willed fellows. What flaky folk. What flaky folk floating away on a on a breeze. A whole year between episodes? Has it really? These 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 jokers are uh, are um uh, are joking with us. You know, <laughs> as jokers are want to do. As jokers are want to do. These guys are crazy. Fair weather podcasters. They, we we sub, we subscribe to your podcast, and then a year later, something pops up on my phone telling me they've released another episode. They to record another one. Who do they think they are? Unsubscribe. Don't unsubscribe. We're back with a new episode of Required Reading, a film podcast. Welcome to you all to that podcast. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your patience. Um, and here with me, as always, <laughs> is um, is Dan. Say hello, Dan. <laughs> hello. Wogan laughs early on. Love it. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this episode, episode 13 of this podcast. Um, Unlucky for some, unlucky for you. Very lucky for you. Very lucky for you. I feel like we've entered 2020 with a newfound sense of purpose and vigour. I, exactly, and I've sort of been thinking about trying to live a life of rather than going all the time, oh, we should do that thing, and oh, let's do that thing, and just trying to seize... Carpe into podcast. Carpe podcast. <laughs> and this is it. You are listening to the result of, of that carpeing, that carping. And, um, and here we are. Welcome. And we're going to be doing a chat about a movie kind of connected to 13, if you consider 13 and luck and the Irish and the luck of the Irish and the, the four-leaf clover and everything. That's not at all tenuous, Alex. It, Do you continue? Does, is there anything there? Shall I mine further? Shall I pick Shall I pick at this axe? What? Shall I pick axe this vein any further? Um, What's great is we've come straight back into this podcast as well. We're not at all rusty. We're not rusty. It's like we've never been away. It, we've never been away. The quips are flowing like the proverbial waterfall. And um, yes, the, the movie that we're going to be doing is is The Irishman, latest Netflix mega smash um, from Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. What's the subtitle? I hear you paint houses. I hear you paint houses. And I heard you paint houses. For paint it is the... It's like um, wrong tense. It is the first thing that Jimmy Hoffa, a character in the movie, says to our, uh, our protagonist. Um... And um, I don't know, should we get into that? Because The Irishman, kind of a crappy title in comparison. I don't know, I think I Heard You Paint Houses is a better title. It was the title of the book, the non-fiction book it was mm. based on. It's not really mentioned. The only time they say the word, the, the phrase The Irishman is actually in reference to the Kennedys. Mm. Um, but it's it was Frank Sheehan's nickname, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's ever deployed. You just have to assume 
he's an Irishman. Yeah, he's an Irishman, and um, and and some of those difficulties. Let's get on to some of those difficulties. But um, a little bit of housekeeping. The only rule, really, of uh, of this podcast is that um, is that you've seen the movie. So if you're listening to this, thinking you're going to have a fine time with us talking about the movie, and we're not going to spoil it for you, that's not the case. Yeah, and also the conversation, in very much in the spirit of the film, will will take a non-linear path mm. we do tend to hop around as as fancy takes us absolutely uh, I, I just as just the, the as it as it comes to us mm. yeah absolutely I and i think the title is the first thing it's is, is is a good thing it's a good thing to start with um because there was a long time of of, of knowing this movie was in the world wasn't there there mm. was a real like oh this is what he's working on it's to do with netflix and he's obviously you know, a very opinionated guy, so you would expect him to have real views on on Netflix versus cinema. And he's obviously, you know, been very connected to how his films are, are presented. Um, I suppose we start right at the beginning, don't we? Like, what what did you think of what did you think of the movie? Um, so the Irishman's a film about bad men getting old doing bad things and then ultimately feeling a bit sad about the bad things they did well it's an assassin story it's isn't an assassin it? story um a fairly irredeemable central protagonist um who is uh, very much um i guess indicted in the the disappearance of real life uh union leader teamster Mm. Uh, Jimmy Jimmy Hoffa, who I have to admit I knew very little about prior to this film, and the film itself does make a point of that towards the end. Yeah. About it's very much a generational thing, and uh, for a certain period of American history, Jimmy Hoffa was one of the most uh, famous people in the mm. country. I think. Yeah, they one, say it at the beginning as well. Don't yeah, they? and they do mention that you know he's probably the second most to the president in terms of the level of influence and power mm. he has over the country but really over the working classes and over those people who are responsible for making things get where they need mm. to be. Um, that in itself is quite interesting. Um, I myself, I'm largely not a fan of the bad men genre, Yeah, which Martin Scorsese is a big fan of. He likes the bad men genre. Exactly. Um, I find something like Goodfellas, where it had someone who was actually an outsider entering that world and trying to ingratiate themselves into that world, worked better for me because I felt like I had something to hook myself onto whereas this you're just thrown headlong into a world of fairly dispassionate emotionless people who who very casually kill people it really portrays America the way that I tend to perceive it which is um, a country that likes to pride itself on presenting the facade of civility mm. when in fact it's barely moved forward from the old west right it's they've got a lot more money mm. but ultimately there's still just a lot of people shooting each other to get their way yeah it's it, it's really interesting because the the history of america and obviously even the idea of finding a new world and re-establishing the order of things and bringing over something like 
organized crime or family connections or, or even just a protection racket and then developing that into you know the links between unions and a protection racket are well known they're it's really a very sort of thin thin line very between so. them and um, Scorsese has explored the idea of the teamsters and the mafia and 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 those and those connections in in quite a lot of his movies but this one is really really intensively looking at it really you're seeing this guy is probably the line yes. you know between what is supposed to be a respectable union man, you know, responsible for these people's pensions. And then the seedy criminal underbelly that's a, a really fueling that movement. But, but also to do with morality and him working to his own sense of morality and believing that law doesn't impede on his view of the world, that the need for using these guys and the need for appearing honest you know, for him coexist because he's working on a different level. Someone like Jimmy Hoffa, um, as, as I understand it, probably did think that he lived outside of, you know, that sphere of, of having to worry about accountability or, 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 or you know, repercussions for, for his actions because the movie obviously has a real, has a real conversation about that, the way that they present De Niro's character and the way they present Pacino's character he asks he invites you to think about other movies that they've played and his own filmography I feel in in how you feel about these two characters obviously um you, you know one is kind of known for maybe playing more unhinged characters and one is known for sort of playing maybe more well, quietly unhinged characters quietly unhinged characters <laughs> yeah it's i suppose it, yeah it's a bit of a strange a strange sort of uh, line to go down yeah, but I mean, um, when you take into account taxi driver the king of yeah. comedy et al like the robert nero's thing is the slightly more underplayed unhinged mm. character whereas al pacino is the bug-eyed screaming <laughs> yeah 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 for for a, a large part of it and and if and if you come into this wondering whether they're going to deliver on like what we would expect of them and or giving those kind of shouty moments or those really menacing brooding moments i think they really really deliver i don't think anyone can take that away from either of them incredible performances by both of them um and nuanced and the way that De Niro has play, played all the different versions, the different ages of his character, I thought were, were really well thought out. They they were very well delivered. Um, I mean, generally the film, I think I spent most of my film admiring it from a, a, crafts, a craftsman's perspective rather than necessarily being able to give myself over to its world and, and mm. to its people. It was like... I. I get, I get. This is good, but I wasn't that emotionally invested in it. Um, Scorsese does a very good job of presenting an objective, a very objective um, depiction. Mm. He does that very well. He does it in The Wolf of Wall Street as well. Um, he, he tends to do that across his films, where he never really, you know, through music or through any other, or through any other sort of action makes you go these are the bad guys or these mm. are the goodies he just puts them up and lets them be who they are and lets you always draw your own conclusions exactly there's no there's no manipulation mm. to sort of draw certain uh, to elicit certain reactions from you while, yeah. while you're watching i quite admire that and 
I find it quite. I struggled with that as well in a way because I kept going like, what, what is what what is Frank Sheeran's deal? What is mm, he? How, what is how, his motivation? What's his motivation? How's he how's he gone from being just this guy doing a fairly menial job, um, and it doesn't really. Ex- it very briefly explores the idea of how he was able to quite callously dispatch those two Germans in in the, in the war in that yeah. very brief scene, and that's almost enough to go. He's he's done that. He he actually has no qualms of just looking people in the in the eye, taking them down, and sort of going, "It's nothing personal." Mm. And he and he sort of maintains that to the the grave that attitude. And there's a very telling conversation later on in the in the part of the film that really resonated with me. Eventually, was the last half hour when he's at his oldest and his friends are starting to die, and he's talking to the priest and he's mm. trying to reconnect with his daughter. And for me, that that whole that last half an hour to me entirely justified everything that went before, because mm. I felt like I was like, where where is this gonna go? How is this gonna wrap up in a way where I just kind of go, I kind of wasted <laughs> three and a half hours of my life on that. Yeah. And it was like, oh, it, it kind of it justified it because De Niro did such a great job of taking this, you know, once absolutely deadly, callous killer who was you know obedient to a fault and just showing showing how frail and pathetic and sad and just absolutely without anything left mm. in his life worth worth a shit for the sake of you know protecting his uh, inverted commas friends mm. you know were uh, J- jimmy hoffer was his friend yeah um, and a really good person to him, and a, and a really good person to him. Whereas Russell, for Russell, he was always the errand boy, no matter how old they got. Yeah, he was always the errand boy. He was always someone who was there to serve a purpose for him, mm. um, and in a way, had really manipulated him throughout his life to to stay in his lane like that. Yeah, manipulation is is a really interesting point to make about this film because if we consider that. And, and if there is a disservice to be made, is that De Niro maybe gives too much, is, is almost too compelling for that character in a way that <clears throat> he must have just been a, 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 a sort of tool, a tool of, of, of which, a hammer of which to fix a yeah, certain he was a problem. Blunt, he was a blunt object, you know, yeah. and, um, and, and how he's treated by the organisation of, you know, the, the mafia and the family and how they took him in and then how Jimmy weaponizes him and that way his sort of straight arrow attitude and how he uses that it is the same manipulation and and i'm really interested by how i feel about jimmy hoffer after seeing this film um i I too uh, didn't really know anything about him i knew in new york you know or or like throwaway lines in movies and i think there's a fun-loving criminal's so song or something that talks about him or I think I, I remember so something in the back of my sure, brain sure. is is that but um I remember I thought of him he was supposed to have been a gangster like a proper gangster so I, I so that connection was already definitely there um but let's go to a um a contribution um from one of our um from one of our um regular contributors uh chris Schilling. And um, I think it sort of it, it, it ties up some of the points we've been making. Um, he says, "I felt like I admired it more than I loved it, but the hey, last hour of the film was where I 
began to really see what all the fuss was about. Until then, a lot How of weird. it... F- I, this is the first time I've heard this comment. <laughs> I know, I know. That's, that's, uncanny. Why, that's, uncanny. that's why I thought I'd bring it up. I love it. Um, until then, a lot of it felt like Scorsese playing the hits, albeit with an older-than-usual cast and a less celebratory tone. In a way, this felt like an answer to a criticism that his previous gangster films glorified the lifestyle too much, even if his intent was obviously to show how someone could be seduced by it. I thought the digital de-aging worked really well for the most part, to the point where I often forgot about it entirely, but the short sequence with De Niro as a soldier looked like a Call of Duty (laughs) cutscene. And the bit where he attacks the store owner was one of the least convincing beatings I've ever seen. That said, (laughs) elsewhere the stiffness of an older actor in a younger body felt oddly fitting. This is a story about an old man looking back at his past after all. I do wonder if the more jarring moments cost De Niro an Oscar nomination because his performance deserved more recognition. I think Pesci's against type turn is the obvious standout simply because, well, this isn't the kind of performance we usually see from him. But for the phone call scene alone, De Niro should have made the Oscar shortlist. I found the last act of the film poignant and affecting and the ending is just about perfect. It's maybe a little flabby around the middle, I appreciated its unhurried pace, but I'm not sure it really needed to be three and a half hours long. I agree. But I'm really looking forward to finding the time to sit through it again, and there aren't too many films of that length I'd already say that about. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. Ruined our podcast with some excellent points. Um, I say ruined. It's basically just justified everything I've just said. Well, That's thank totally you very much. Although I don't want to watch it again. Thank you very much for that, Chris. Um, yeah, I agree um, with almost everything you're saying there. Um, yeah, I mean... Digital uh, de-aging. Yes, that definitely... Let's get to it. Go. Let's I, deal I, I, with I, I, the... I agree. Um, I, thought, I thought it was excellent, excellently done. Um, I did see, uh, or I read an article or saw a feature at, uh, about it, and I must say that for the most part, I start. I really struggled to spot the scenes where I didn't just think it was a makeup job. Yeah, um, yeah. But like, the I, fact that you're even in that headspace of trying to deconstruct it means we're in a new place mm. now, like really in a new place. Because there was some makeup, there was some, but I thought it was pretty good. Um, watched it with uh, Vic, my wife, and she made the great point of that. The early scene, there's a scene in the car, the first time you see him, and the first scene with Pesci at the gas station, you're really deep in the uncanny valley there. You're really like, oh, have they messed it up? I'm not sure. I can't deal with this. I know they're not that age. And that's the key point. You know, you, they, you know they're not that age. So you're looking for the seams in it. And it takes you probably half an hour to bed in. Like for it really, for you start to really getting integrated into the story to the point where... It's funny. And I think I think maybe in a few years time, we'll look back on it and go, this is absurd. It looks ridiculous. Yeah. Because the same thing happens with games all the time. I remember when... Um, one of the Quantic Dream demos came out. I think it was before Heavy Rain came out. They released a demo of just one of the actresses talking to camera. And at the time I thought, oh my God, it's like, it's borderline real. And I look back on it now and it's like watching the Money for Nothing video. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's weird. It's weird the gaps that your mind fills Mm. until you're presented with a superior alternative what i've got to say and what's quite funny bearing in mind scorsese's beef with the whole mcu and his dislike of the marvel universe mm. is 
how those films were very much setting the benchmark for the de-aging process in cinema. That's such and, a great point. And he's gone and utilised a key technique. You know, yeah. They did such a fantastic job with the likes of Tony Stark. Mm. Um, in that scene film. is amazing. The young it? Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's really great. And young Michael Douglas. Yeah, of course. In, in Ant Man, yeah. I mean, they 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 really did um, push push that that boat out. I think and and. Don't bite the hand that don't bite hand the hand of fees. Yeah, they've 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 the served hand. some. Yeah, they've served some very uh, useful. They've served a very useful purpose. Yeah, they? you know they've really um, built that technology that's allowed him to make the Irishman uh, a reality. What I, what I will say is that it felt like a lot of the money had been put into that. Um, this certainly isn't a film where you could say that the the. The city felt like a character, you know that that cliche that people roll out, like a um, once upon a time in in Hollywood. Like, it, well, like, we get to see it, but yes, yeah. it's it's that idea. Oh, of the, okay. Uh, well, so, but, so, but the idea of the location playing a mm. fundamental part in it. This was this was far more about the the, the characters, mm. and very focused on that, and, and more often than not, it felt like a chamber piece. And there were certain moments. Um, such, when, such as when they're celebrating Frank and there's a big room I was like okay that feels like a big old Scorsese scene but for the most part they seem to make a deliberate effort to have Pesci and De Niro alone in an empty diner and it feels very spare mm. and it's, it, they, they really don't want to detract from that um, the, I guess the intimacy and that and that um, that that triangle of the relationship between Frank uh, Russell and yeah. uh, and Jimmy uh, which is really integral to the piece. But on that note, I think that also throws up one of my biggest concerns about the film, um, which is really the way that women are treated in this film. They are just window dressing. Right. They're there to smoke, occasionally complain, uh, and and just stare. Mm. I think like Anna Paquin, Academy Award winning actress, signed up, for a Scorsese film, she was going, I oh, must have a great role ahead of me here. And she, there are two scenes where she just stares and says nothing. Mm. There's a scene, there's a wedding scene in slow motion. I can't remember, if, I can't remember if she's in that. I just seem to mm-hmm. associate that with her. And I was thinking, this is a three and a half hour film, not an episode of Dark Place. This scene does not need to be in slow motion. You could right. have cut like three minutes out of the film just by having that run at a normal speed and it contributed nothing to having mm. slow motion. Sorry, I'm deviating. But um, <laughs> but what really made me laugh is when she finally speaks, she said, why? Why haven't you called her? Yeah. And then his next line is, she never spoke to me after that. <laughs> she never speaks again. And I was yeah. just like, that, I think for me, just epitomised how all the female actresses are treated in that film. Um, there's very few people of colour the the main one you see has a gun and assassinates someone and then you, you never see one again it's it's a very white male film that just has absolutely nothing to give anyone but, it absolutely but, but that was the world fails. though that was, it, that, it was that was the world of those men I, I, I'm sorry I, I, I got to take you to to task a little bit on it the, the wives obviously you know are disregarded by these men that's culture so that, yes. that so that explained that that is you know that's just the way it is and Anna Paquin 
I really am going to go to bat for her in this film. She did more with those lines than you know a lot of other actresses could have done. And the and the young version of her, I thought was great. She yeah. saw she was heavily traumatized in her youth by what she saw her dad do as a result of what she had said. It was her that that made him do it effectively. And you can see that that is that plays on her mind. And she sees it in how she uh, deals with Pesci's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is just, like, she understands everything. But she as a kid, she's not going to bring it up. No, no. And as a daughter, she's not going to be able to bring it up. And I think the silence speaks volumes. I actually go to bat for it, for you know, in, in oh, no, what I mean, she did. I mean, well, I she, I mean, she was, that's the thing. I'm, the point I'm making is she is a great actress and she yeah. makes that work for her. But in, but in um, his world, in... You know, in that character's world, the daughter isn't going to be going, hey, you, you know, you better like fix up, you know, and, and make sure you don't shoot as many people. You know, she's like, what, <laughs> like, what is she going to do? You know, I think that it was. But, no, I but, thought she, it also, was, but she also has a relationship with Jimmy Hoffa, for example. And you very, can see it speaks volumes that she the moment that she meets him, she's like, oh, OK, this guy is a little bit more, you know, has a bit more fortitude. I, you know, you could have heard her speak to him. I think that I think that it's, but it's from his perspective. I don't know. I I, I think that it it it's obviously a conscious decision. How he how Scorsese treats women in his films is a is a very broad you know <laughs> thing to throw at him. Ha ha. Um, it, 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 and it, and it is something that can be leveled at him in all of his films. But the reason why I give him a pass on it is because the the, the stories that he's telling are these you know they're sociopaths they're men that are completely fixated on themselves and women are only really a I, distraction I get it. It just, you it know just, it started to just it grated grated yeah mm. initially i was like yeah I, I get what he's saying but just give them something to say where they're not complaining about smoking and paint them as these fairly two-dimensional you know there's, there's a great there's a great line from his other daughter towards the end where she says, we couldn't come to you because we knew what you'd do. What you'd we do. come to you with a small problem mm. and your reaction would be, I'm going to kick the shit out of this person or, yeah. or worse. Um, and, that, and that, again, is why that final part of the film works for me so much because suddenly other people get a chance to challenge yeah. him. The priest challenges him and she challenges him. And for the rest of his life, no one's challenged him. They've all sort of lived in fear of him, I guess. I, I like, he's never been aware of that. He's never been... He was like, I, I was just trying to do what was best. And those elements of the film in particular really resonated with me because um, on a much more personal mm. level because I, I was suddenly sort of reminded of the relationship I had with, with my dad who passed away a few years ago and thinking, oh, I never had a... I did have a chance to reconcile with him like in his in his final days. Um and and sort of address the 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 elephant in the room, right. which was that we, we never really had a relationship for the for the for my entire life, mm. um, and so I really started to feel emotional about that, and then I started to feel emotional as a father as well as as that idea of like I've just been trying to do this to protect you, and I've just been trying to do all this, mm. and you, you know the world I'm in is so nightmarish and so difficult that I'm shielding you from so much and they're like you're not you think mm. we're stupid you think we're fucking idiots you think we, we don't <laughs> know what you're protecting us from but we're fully aware yeah, yeah. of it we've always been aware of it 
and I was I was I was just so glad that was there. Yeah. Otherwise, it's devastating. Uh, yes, it's devastating, and I, and otherwise, I think without that acknowledgement, I think it, it would have been a far worse film for mm, it. I think agreed. that really gave it some merit, and I, yeah, and I, I that's why I agree with Chris. I really think that final. Third, just, it's, it's just, an hour. He just, kills Jimmy with an hour to go. Yes. So you think of you know where films we would expect the the cadence of a film to go. We would kind of expect a little bit after that. Goodfellas actually really abruptly finishes after the um, mm. after everything kind of goes wrong. Um, but this gives us a real nice simmer, like a real. Um, what is it after exercising? A real like sort a of cool warm down. cool down, you know, like a really nice long tail where we get to really drink in what happened afterwards. Um, I love the scene with the police officers where they sit at his bedside and go, you know, everyone's dead. <laughs> like oh, everybody's outside. Yeah, yeah. He has when, like the two when, FBI guys, yeah, think, is it, they're like. Who are you protecting now? Like, yeah. just tell us what happened. Yeah, to just Jim. tell us what happened. Like, why are you protecting anyone now? And he just, you know, he carries on doing it. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I, as we, as we know, as, as possible as or likely as this may be, this is, this is speculation. Mm, yeah, it's very, um, very possible that, it, that it's not true. Um, I do like the way actually the film deals with, um, with, with killing. It's it's far more shocking and immediate and brutal and real than I think we've become accustomed to. Right. The way that he executes people is so efficient mm. and just snuffs them out mm. in a in a heartbeat. And the way that he he has to hurriedly finish Jimmy mm. as he's trying to leave the house. Yeah. Uh, is is really sort of is really really hard. Yeah, the, the, there's a strange uh, balletic moment, isn't there, where he's he, he's walking around, but he's obviously really trusting of 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 Frank, you yeah. know, of Frank, and and he turns around and he's like, oh, let's go this way and let's go that way, and it's awkward, but it's really it's really affecting. It's great. Yeah, it's um, it's really hard. It's such a cool thing. Um. I think um uh, let me just go to another um another little piece of uh, of um a um user contribution a user contribution this is from Christopher Jones um at plastic percy on twitter and uh, he starts with very pleased the podcast is coming back. Oh, Thank you very much. That's you. very nice of you to say. The Irishman is well paced, well acted and slickly filmed. A technical masterclass from a deservedly revered director and cast. The de-aging process, although I found it unsettling at first, was used to great effect and only really fell foul when one of the 70-year-old actors... Julius of great there. I found it grating. I found it... But then it was great. Um... Sorry, I've derailed you. You did derail me. Um, <laughs> it really fell foul when one of the 70-year-old actors had to engage in physical violence. They looked their age in those shots, unexpectedly so. Not a film I would rewatch. However, as the genre isn't one I enjoy, um, I, I, I kind of had the same issue with The Sopranos. Um, there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I don't... I don't really enjoy shows. <laughs> I don't know how to put it, but I just I don't really derive joy mm. from it. Um, well, let's. Let, I'm let, kind of appalled by these people, so I find it really hard to 
to just watch them be appalling. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I do understand. I don't know why I like them so much. I think, well, it's like the same, you know, there's, there's men have fascination with, with war films and really raking over the coals of some of the worst moments of humanity. Mm. Some people, and we people watch true crime, people watch these fictionalised accounts of mobsters and things. There's a real, you know, we, there's a darkness inherent in us and these people act on our worst instincts yeah and there's a there can be a fascination going let what 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 would it be to live that life what would Mm. it be if i had no scruples if i was able to do that and there is a morbid fascination with doing that um but yeah i i I generally find it quite difficult and quite repulsive to watch yeah it's interesting i i wonder whether mine is a mix of um i feel a little like it kind of sci-fi it's so far away from my sphere of the way that I live my life or the people I surround myself with so the ridiculous nature of these men and what they do just doesn't have any connection with me it doesn't make me think good or bad they're just these characters um although with with one exception um the catch me if you can um the film with uh DiCaprio and uh, Tom Hanks I really found myself hating the character so i couldn't enjoy the movie um and and that's exactly exactly the way you're describing so that's why it's kind of coming to me but yeah stuff like goodfellas it just seems like they're just ridiculous caricatures yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of, of things so i don't i don't really connect it to it but um uh christopher brings up a great point about the you can de-age someone with multi-million pound computers you can do whatever but the guy is 70 the guy is nearly 80 you can't get around that if you're you know there's 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 stories from on set where apparently jimmy hoff is supposed to jump out of a chair like you know like a you know like a snake like a yeah you know snake jumping and apparently had to do it loads of times just because he just kept kind of going you know getting out of the chair it's like it's physics isn't it you know these guys are that old you know you can't do which is which is interesting because uh, say with a film like The Social Network where mm. they had to have Army Hammer portray twins and they had a body double and another head very convincingly his head convincingly popped on another actor yeah I found it interesting that they didn't go the body double route so, yeah I'm wondering whether some of them I did think I spotted a couple of shots I'm sure there um, must have been some kind of stunt yeah. work throughout it but it, like you say the scene where he's giving the guy the beat down it did seem a very strange decision that he was like, I'm going to go wide on this shot yeah, and I'm not going to cut away. And you're like, mine, man. You know, you know, looks like my granddad's going over to kick a guy to death and doing a really bad job of it. Well, it's like the latter day Roger Moore film, um, Bond films, you yes. know, like where he's, uh, you know, everyone's kind of running into his fist and going, <laughs> like falling away really theatrically. The pro wrestling like, school of violence. Know, a, a team falling into, you know, balsa wood, you know, boxes and stuff. It's a, you know, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a curious decision. I don't know if you've seen that animation that was going around where, it's it's basically that scene and De Niro sort of collapses on the floor and so two guys in green outfits pick him up and then basically start puppeteering him. Amazing, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. It's yeah. it's it, it it's it's you know it gets a pass. Let's you know let's just say it just gets a pass. You know they I, are I they think, are. I think age. overall you know. it was as you say once once you'd settled in, 
it felt it felt fairly seamless. And it was only when I watched I didn't watch it all, but there's a thing called Irishman in Conversation where the actors are sat around discussing the film that's also on Netflix. It's mm. a half an hour. It's 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 a good it's a it's a great chaser. I really enjoy the fact that Netflix is really starting to go the the Blu-ray route. Right. Um, the the Dark Crystal series, which mm. I thoroughly enjoyed and just think everyone should watch because mm. it probably didn't get as many viewers as it deserved, um, has a fantastic like hour-long making of that is phenomenal because it just shows the amount of passion and craft that went into the film. And Irishman in Conversation is a, is a similar is a similar thing where you've got the actors sat around and really sort of digging into the nuts and bolts of why they did it. Although weirdly, Al Pacino can't seem to get over the fact that they're real people. He right. really states that fact about 17 times in the first time. <laughs> oh, they're real people. Oh, oh, I read the oh, book. Wow. Oh, oh, so, oh, so, this, this guy was real. He was really doing it. And I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, Al. He was a real man. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> also showing his age, you know. Yeah. It felt like a 70-odd-year-old man trying to discuss a movie role. Um, but when it was cutting between shots of him and, and De Niro sat in a room talking about it and then to shots of the film where they're younger, the 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 the, the plasticity, the sort of waxy nature yeah, of right. the faces hit more. Mm. Within the context of the world where it's all graded the same and everything's yeah built around the fact that they've got that to work with, it, it's it's far more convincing, but um taken out of context, you you are sort of removed from it again. Mm. But yes, yes, it get it it hundred percent gets a pass, uh, and and really really bodes well for, I guess, future endeavors. Yeah, continuing to attempt attempt this process. But yeah, I think uh, the the next time they can convincingly pop heads onto younger bodies. That's yeah, the, maybe that's, that's the, next the one. Stage, I think. Um, I also just wanted to put a shout out there for the other people that move around like old men already. Um, at my age, I do, you know, I do have my moments, and it's cold. You do kind of, you know, tense up and you that kind of stuff. You know, joints start and... to seize up. It's already starting to happen. And these young, lithe twenty-somethings talking about how you know people should move throughout. You know, you know, these guys aren't athletes. They no. eat crap they don't exercise they you know it's all really greasy you know food they tend to be eating and they don't you know and they don't take care of themselves so yeah they might be a little lifting you know, a pistol clunky, is the closest yeah. they get to exactly or yeah, a whiskey at the end weights. of the day <laughs> you know um um our final point on the de-aging i i think without doubt it's the best de-aging that we've seen it's the least intrusive de-aging that we've seen in any other films um and we agreed that uh, it's is it Iron Man three that that scene is in the where he's talking to no the, it's it's a uh, civil war civil war that's right um, and uh, that's a great scene um, where did you land with um, Tarkin in uh, Rogue One um, oh very much on the oh no side yeah of that it. was tough I was hoping that when I first saw Moff Tarkin in in Rogue One. That his back's to the camera, mm, and that was going to be it. And he's talking. I was like, <laughs> "Yes, that's exactly how you do it." That's like, what we want. You yeah. Have it, yeah. Everyone goes, "Oh, it's Moff Tarkin," but then it's like, "No, our digital artists are so convinced of their of their craft that we're going to focus on his face for far too long." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we're going to bring in Young Leia, and he's like, "Oh no, 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 no! Just, just." restraint be cool show restraint mm. if you're gonna do it you know if you've got the money fine but yeah. um yeah let's let's not 
Let's not get into Moff. Let's not, let's not get into Moff. And let's certainly not get into Young Leia in Rise of Skywalker either. Cause I'm not, I'm, I'm a moratorium on you talking about Rise of Skywalker Sorry. On the, in this. Um, I actually thought um, some of the um, 4K, um, you know, the, the, the slow motion, uh, some of those slow motion scenes really worked for me. Really. No, some of them were fantastic, but... It just, I, was, I thought, oh God, they filmed this film so long. Why does it also need slow motion? Because it always just reminds me of the Garth Marenghi's Dark Place joke was like, the episodes were running short, so they just use slow motion for all the non-dialogue scenes, <laughs> um, which is which is fantastic. And I was like, I don't know if if these are necessarily contributing to anything. I, I think sometimes you, you use a slow motion scene to play out a scene that has a certain emotional, dramatic resonance, and sometimes it was deployed as such, and then other times I thought, don't really understand why they're using it here right uh, um he also did it in wolf of wall street didn't he there's some really good good ones in that, that I mean, but that overall i think felt like a drug effect a drug effect but just it, the overall film felt it like it was directed by a younger man it was dealing with a younger world and he actually managed to inject an element of youthful energy like you know whatever the opposite of way beyond his years, way be- prior to his years, he managed to insert that sort of energy into Wolf of Wall Street. Like, I felt like it came from a younger director. Where do you land on um, your moral omitter with, uh, if you don't like gangster films, because of them, how did Wolf of Wall Street? Wolf of Wall Street, I found more interesting because I think it had a, a thread of humour mm. shot through it. Which which sort of softened it right a little bit because there was there was such excess um, and yeah the quaalude scene is just one of the funniest pieces of physical comic acting so good you know I think I think that that really cements a side of DiCaprio we've very rarely seen before is to 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 do that sort of mm. almost slapsticky it was crazy acting. it was just it? it was fantastically funny. Um, and then you've got naturally funny people in that film surrounding him as well. So while it was also about a very sort of morally repugnant world, mm. um, I think I actually enjoyed that film far more because of its energy, uh, because of its humour and because of Margot Robbie. Yeah, she's yeah, very good in the movie, not, isn't she? She was very good in the film. Very good in the film, and um, yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm joking. At the last point, she, she was excellent in the film, actually. But I mean, just over, overall, yeah, I think that does rank among one of my my favourite of of his because uh, it's just not quite so dour. Mm. Well, I think I'm going to um, give a little, a little bit of controversial uh, kind of statement. Um, obviously, you do rank these with his other movies but there's something about the irishman that just demands a slight reclassification in that it's you know chris makes the um uh, made the great point about him scorsese playing the hits almost felt like this was like a new type of film for me like a autumn autumn retrospective uh, type genre where you know he's able to bring back the guys that he really liked working with um bring in some guys that he's never worked with and just have a you know harlem globetrotters you're playing basketball but you're not 
playing competitive basketball. You're not playing like NBA basketball. There's something about the Irishman that really, really got to me and made me feel like it was kind of a, like a present or something from him, like for the fans that have watched him through these other movies and seen the things that he's done and, and, the stories that he's told, the Irishman just really feels like a, just this really sort of nice uh, thing to do. You know, that that's, I think that's certainly the subtext mm. of it. There's a certain sense of um, end of an era mm. about it. Let's let it's, it's almost like playing the hits is very, is a very apt um, comparison because it is like, it's like getting the stones back together again right. for yet another tour. It's like, you know they've still got it in them. They've still gonna. They're still gonna play the songs. But you get on. You see them on stage. You go, they mm. look old. Yeah, they look Lord. old. And it, and it and it and it makes you a bit sad. Mm. Well, I think also there's a few things like writing some wrongs. Um, so obviously De Niro and Pacino haven't been in that many films together, and it was handled differently. And Righteous Kill. Let's just not talk about that. Um, but yeah, so obviously um, De Niro kills Pacino's character the opposite of what happened in Heat yeah so tiny little bits like that there are these I don't even know whether they gave it a second thought but just it's just one of those nice things that has happened and, and that's where now I they're kind of, even now they're even and well they I don't can, know what happened in Righteous Kill because I didn't see it maybe it's 2-1 well, it's, it, it, it brings up a point I made. I was listening to some of our old episodes uh, before and I brought up uh, the idea that I wanted to see um, sequels that we wanted to see. We were talking about um, some, some, some news item. Um, and I said that I would like them to have a look back at doing The Godfather hmm. um, again. Getting rid of Godfather 3, but doing A Godfather Continued where Pacino and De Niro could do their characters of their respective ages again. And so we could revisit the world of the Godfather again. And it, it's strange. But De Niro would be Brando. You know, obviously that is an issue, but it's, but here it's gone back to the Goodfellas mold or the casino mm. mold and the other thing and, and gone in that world. Like, you know, yeah, maybe Godfather, there's too many issues to, to make it work, but yeah, we can go back into Goodfellas land or, or Casino land and, and 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 have another go at it. So that's yeah, you know yeah. I'm re- really thankful for the um for the Irishman in a lot of ways because I just loved loved those films so much. Um, another thing I I noticed about it is is in in between these films, um, Scorsese has come out about how much he loves uh, Wes Anderson films. They've um you know sort of connected and done sort of lots of interviews together and obviously I've not seen any of this. Yeah, Wes Anderson films obviously are there's very little actual plot. Lots of things happen. It's much more of a character study. You know, if you take something like The Royal Tenenbaums, um, it's it. it it's really only about a divorced father that fakes illness to spend time with his kids, all of whom have mental health issues. Mm-hmm. When you hear it like that, it sounds boring and rubbish and maybe like a, you know, Mike Lee thing or something like that. But it's how he, Wes Anderson creates the world and the characters and the look of it. Um, but really it's, you know, again, going back to that slice of life esque thing where not much happens. Um, in this movie, it takes a really long time to not 
really do there's not these massive set pieces or there's not these you know these big things there's like a phone call which is a, or, or a party or a you know a conversation at a party or driving in a car somewhere you know you made the point earlier there's no real you know, there's no really sort of big sort of set pieces from a budget perspective but really in plot it's you know, I kind of wondered whether Scorsese's making his sort of ode to that style of filmmaking. There's, there's, there's that, yeah. And there's also the idea that this is all being told from the perspective of a very old, frail man. So you're, you're dealing with fragments hmm. of memories. And sometimes fairly mundane things stick in your mind as much as pivotal moments. Hmm. And the film certainly is a fusion of those two elements hmm. so um I was, I was actually thinking about that point uh, this t- sorry to interrupt them i was thinking about that point of when you think back on your memories when you're a kid there are some that are totally benign totally crazy and it's it's weird how your brain remembers those like if only i would have known that i would remember this walk home from school like forever mm. i don't remember I, I don't really remember 99 percent of me walking home but that one time i just kind of brushed by this kind of bush i I'm, i've remembered that forever it's, it, so you know really it, it, it's a great point because probably the way that he does remember his relationship with jimmy were our first conversation a time when he was really sweet to me in a hotel room when we all of our work was done that day all the interesting things and the speeches and the, and the things that happened that day but this little nice conversation where we're in our pajamas where, where in our pajamas and he fell asleep and while I was talking to him and I just put you know and and I just went to sleep afterwards that sticks in my mind because it was a really gentle moment it was and sweet and intimate yeah and there is something quite Again, funny that it's quite a, a, a fanboy moment for, for people to like, oh, De Niro and Al Pacino is two sort of bumbling middle-aged men who, who've got twin beds, you know, there's almost yeah. a Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau. It's great. Uh, <laughs> no dynamic going on there, brief. It's like, I want to see that film. But some, yeah, it happened one night, you know, where they're just in a room together and they're just talking to each other and, you know, opening themselves up to each other because... You are at your most vulnerable, aren't you? You're going you to some sleep. The, you know, some, it's some of the uh, best conversation. I mean, we've we've done it ourselves, haven't we? Like we we we, we shared a bit of Gamescom. We did. <laughs> uh, it was really funny. So um, yeah, because I I went over just on a, on a whim, and you said I'll just skip over at my hotel. And I used to love that. I, I used to do it like when I was younger. My friends stayed over at university when people would like skip over. And I used to have these like amazing conversations sometimes with people that like I kind of vaguely knew. Mm. But the moment you're in that scenario, and there's no other distractions. You can have these wonderful, yeah. never-ending chats about Very everything deep. because you're absolutely focused yeah. at that moment. And and funnily enough, I think that's that's what podcasting does as well. Mm. Uh, you know, I do this one, and funnily enough, on this very same day, I've recorded the first episode of my company podcast, Explosive Island Podcast, for like a year as well. We yeah. figured out it was like a year and five days to the day mm. that we did the last episode, and it, and it's always that moment you go, we work together. We go for lunch together, we yeah. play games together, but very rarely do we just sit around and our attentions are focused solely on each other mm. and, and having that conversation. Suddenly yeah. all these thoughts that you don't even realise you're having start to come to the fore and you have these lovely moments, mm. which is a very just long-winded way of saying why those moments do do resonate, of why mm. 
why Frank might have remembered that moment because to be honest I bet there were very few moments in his life where he ever had that sort of relationship with another man right he was he, like I said he was a tool to the mobsters he didn't really have any other immediate family male members of his immediate family it was a very um, matriarchal mm. household as yeah. well and so he had this quite close bond with a with another male figure uh, and that yeah. was that was clearly very important to him. Yeah, it's um, it, and I think that it, it really successful in 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 the way that he did it. I think um, he um, I think Scorsese smashed it. I I am definitely a fanboy, and, and a definite problem about doing this podcast is I do feel that I spend most of it just loving all of the films, and <laughs> I think that talks to something like that. You know exactly what you're talking about because I love the Cloverfield paradox. I love apart from the Cloverfield paradox. Um, is that I do just love films and I do you know when there is somebody like Scorsese who can just weave these worlds out of a room a car you yeah. know fixing a car and doing these other other bits you know I, I think I think he does great and there's something he gets out of Joe Pesci I just do not know what it is and yeah he just I remember being so surprised that Joe Pesci was in um, Home Alone. I just don't consider them the same actor when he does things for other directors. Like, this character is completely different to anything that he has played for Scorsese before. So underplayed. Really subtle, really sullen almost, I think is maybe the word. Just a really... Well, that was one of the things I was going to say. Like, this this film occupies a world where everyone talks in threatening euphemism. That's that. I mean, (laughs) that's... And and he is absolutely the king of just just menacing no one ever says what they mean it's always some kind of menacing euphemism subtext of murder of murderous yes, intent some <laughs> way of saying you've got to kill this person yeah yeah, yeah 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 well i mean i guess i heard you paint houses that's yeah, exactly well, it you know and then not, um yeah. and then it's i do my own it's the second line after it um and i do my own cleanup or something there's, there's a there's a line that comes after yeah, it that yeah. just means, you know, I, I don't leave it for other people to do. It's, he um, sleeps with the fishes. <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's 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 great, and I suppose it's a it's it's a great it's the title of the book, so I suppose it is a it is a really big thing. I thought it was weird the way it was incorporated. The title was incorporated into the opening of the film. I thought that was going to be a stylistic chapter decision. Right. So when it was like oh. I heard you paint houses. The way that sort of flashes up. I heard you. Yo, paint paint house, house. house. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I thought the VO was quite a weird touch. Right. (laughs) I hear you paint. Um, But I thought they may have updated it. I thought, yeah. (laughs) I thought they were going to um, use that as a as a sort of a chapter device throughout the film, like it was going to punctuate the different moments but no and then they do it again in the credits and it was only when i realized that was the name of the book right but the way it was deployed it was quite strangely done yeah it's um it, it, i suppose deciding to call it the irishman you did need to make reference to that you think it's I another like it's edge way. of tomorrow thing it's, it could be <laughs> everyone's like oh it's called live die repeat isn't it? it's like, it's oh, yeah 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 because it's true i heard you paint houses of it's a far better. It's title. a far better title, yeah. but you know, maybe not as marketable, and no. maybe not as good in that logo. Which I do like the logo of, of how they write it. Um, we have not talked about a character, Tony Pro. Tony 
Tony played Pro. by Tony fucking Pro by Stephen Graham. Stephen Graham. Where do you land? Where? How do you feel about Stephen Graham? I f- I feel that um I, I like Stephen Graham. I'm a big fan of Stephen Graham. Um and he's acting opposite opposite some you know heavyweights like the doing the Pacino scene. I've I've read an, an interview with him a while back where he said when he's sprung on him, mm. uh, like he didn't tell Pacino he was going to do that, and Pacino was like. The kid really scared me, you know. Hoo ha! I say hell a lot. Uh, I, I, I thought, you know, it, it, it was cool. The, the, again, the accent. I mean, the, the accent I, I dealt with quite quickly. Um, in the same way that I dealt with the de aging, it's like he's a scouser, and he can't quite fully pull himself away from that. But I, I think Scorsese has um has an admiration for him based on his work in Boardwalk Empire. Exactly. Yeah. He was Al Capone, wasn't he? I believe he in was. Boardwalk Empire, um, uh, and so yeah, I, 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 I wasn't, I wasn't put off by him in the shadow of the sort of elderly acting heavyweights mm. who are very authentically accented. Yeah, to throw someone in who's clearly having to put it on really made it stick out like a sore thumb. Right. Because not only that, then you've got like. Bobby Cannavale in there and and Harvey Keitel in yeah. there and and all these are then it's like oh let's just throw in random Brit doing an American <laughs> you know and it was like oh good you know God bless him he, he made a good go of it he made a great go of it I really like Stephen Graham I think he's I think brilliant he's, he's a really really um, everything that he's in he brings a like a real energy to like a presence like he inhabits the the space that he's in, 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 in such a way. But but that was the best thing is that he never felt, um, he never felt that he was the lesser of the actors there. He he really held his own, I Mm. think. And, and I think in a way it was Martin Scorsese's way of going, okay, there's a, there is a new generation of actors out there who are, um, capable of, of, tackling these heavyweight roles once these guys have all mm. retired and when once I've retired. Yeah. Um, he's he's incredibly versatile. He's in Gangs of New York as well. He is he? With him in the, yeah, is he in Gangs know. of New York? Yeah, oh he is, yeah. Weirdly, I think Americans have a harder time spotting a Brit doing an American accent than a Brit <laughs> does. Yeah. Like, like English people can spot an American doing a British accent just mm. a fucking mile off. Mm. But I don't think it necessarily works the way around because there's... It's such a large country and there's such a breadth of accents that I think sometimes they just assume there's just somewhere in America right, someone right. talks like that. Um, but yeah, re- regardless of the slightly iffy accent, um, yeah, you know, the, the, there's not many actors who get to basically throw Al Pacino's stunt double around, are there? It's, it, it, it was, that was a really great scene. Um, in yeah, particular, I The difference I wanna... between fraud... Yeah, yeah, and um, was it extortion? Extortion, or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just trying to like get it, in, in, and you know, Jimmy's just trying to calmly and a little smugly. Ex- oh yeah, explain. He's really holding it over him, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why he's managed to hold on to yeah. his his money and just uh, you know, and it's like. But even then, I was watching it and going, "This isn't Tony Pro. This is Stephen Graham." And if I know anything from Stephen Graham, he's he's the master of of boiling over yeah he's he, going he, over the table he, whatever happens he he's does, going over he the does table. that sort of quiet tension mm. into explosive 
Yeah, really quickly. Aggressive behaviour, like very quickly. Yeah. He's, he's a real fucking... Well, it's, that. It's, the possibility that that's going to happen is always there with the Stephen Graham character. Yes. Whatever happens. So whether he's playing someone nice or he's playing somebody... So of course, you know, this is England as well. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, and That's and awesome. also the virtues, um, really. Oh God. really I only caught the first episode, but holy shit! Very good. It's very tough going. Well, yeah, that's why it's I only saw like the first it's episode. Very I was like, intense. I, I needed a, mm. I needed a, a, a shower. Yeah, a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and a really good uh, also song by PJ Harvey as the as the um, as the title track. Very good. Um, he was also the scummy man. The scummy in, man. Um, the Arctic Monkeys, Monkeys when the sun goes down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's um, he's he's very very cool and uh, one of our finest. Um, is this the final gangster film? Are we done now? Uh, so, certainly not. <laughs> but it's I I hope it's the final gangster film from this group. Right, and it feels like it. It feels like a real final. Goodbye. Yeah. This is this is you know this is it for the gang. Mm. You're not going to see this lot doing this again. I mean, Pesci especially, he was dragged out of retirement to to do this. Exactly. Yeah. Apparently, st- really didn't want to do it. No. Yeah. Uh, and still, still. Had it. Funnily enough, he says that. I don't know if you watched the in conversation bit. He goes, no. "I was given this book on a golf course before any of this was happening." Right. And the guy giving it to me said, "You're going to be in the movie of this one day." And he was like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. Yeah. And it, yeah, and and, it, and so and so it came to pass. Yeah, so um, yeah, it, it, it's um, it, it it it's it for him. I think it's now up to other generations of of directors and screenwriters and actors to explore and and hopefully not attempt to release imitations, but to do something different with it. Um, let's go to uh, James's review, James Buttress. Um, that have I he... not seen any of these? Where have these all come from? I've uh, collated them or all. They... Yes, tweeted. Man, I didn't. I don't, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. It's kind of a really pleasant surprise Excellent. to see that. Uh, the gang are all still the gang engaging. are all still engaged. I've yeah. been. I've pulled everyone out That's of retirement. Me, yeah, like the I'm Blues really, Brothers. Um, you, Made an old man very happy. An old man very happy. Um, James says, man, it's long. (laughs) It's very good, but crikey, it took us four sittings. (laughs) Me too. I like the characters. I thought it was well written and very funny. I also thought, sorry, Bob, but Al Pacino stole the whole film. Loved seeing Stephen Graham larking about, even if his tremendous Scouse accent kept sneaking through. (laughs) The de-aging tech was very well utilised, even if it did mean a fresh-faced De Niro moving like a 70-year-old. It's not quite as good as the classics, Goodfellas Casino, but I do think it deserves to be in the same discussion. Uh, You know, even having just whinged about the duration, I almost wish it was longer and broken up into a mini-series instead. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Um, I I, I think if Scorsese was going to embrace the medium, I don't see why I've seen I've, a friend at work just said I'll definitely watch it in one sitting definitely I don't feel like I lost anything from not 
I did both. Do. I thought we'd talk about this. I did both. I've watched it in uh, three sittings and then did it as one last night. There is no, there's no loss in quality. No. Like it's, um, it. I think he made it again. And coming around to my Scorsese fanboyism, I think he made it. I think it's his intention. It's the first binge watchable movie. Exactly. That's <laughs> a perfect way of putting it. The Coen brothers have had a go with The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. We're doing that long form uh, movie style mm. um, idea of obviously had different characters and obviously had an episodic quality to it. And um, I don't know if you know, um, they're going to take the Hateful Eight, add some bits to it. Yes. And then make it into a, uh, yeah, a um, anthology series or whatever the hell they okay. call it these days, a short form series. Um I really feel again, and I just whether I'm giving him too much credit, and you're just going to have to just give me the bandwidth to to gush about him for a second. But I think that he's talking to us about format. He's talking to us about how you consume a film. You know what is a film? What is cinema? This is my Netflix debut. It's pausable. You can take a slice of it. Or for the hardcore, here's a fucking huge. Goodfellas with everyone back back to do this and you can just completely frankly, immerse yourself in it. You frankly, know. I think he's one of the old school directors who, like many of the others, had for years denounced Netflix as a film, as a cinematic platform. And then he tried to get his film made and all the studios went, yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to give you the money to make Robert De Niro look 40. And Netflix went... Here's $200 million. And you went, I'm going to revisit my opinions about Netflix very rapidly. Um, Can I just shock you? Yeah. I love Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Everything I just said, I love Netflix. I think they're great. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent paraphrasing. Um, uh, but but I think what he's realised that Netflix offers, and I don't know how long it's going to last, but we are in a golden age right now where they have a lot of money. They're probably overspending, but they're doing it to attract subscribers more than anything. And it's working. But it just means that directors are able to put out slightly rawer versions of their visions than the studios and the traditional studio format typically allows. This is for better and for worse because you do realise that sometimes the studio system understands audiences better than directors do and they make decisions that help to just sand off the edges and to fine-tune films and to make them more palatable and make them more enjoyable. Sometimes studio interference can be a good thing. Yeah. It shouldn't always be thought of, oh, someone is inhibiting my... Because sometimes people allow their dreams to get away with them and sometimes they need someone to go, you're too close to this, step back and look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and as we, as we've seen, we've seen some quality directors put stuff out that maybe could have benefited from a few more drafts before it was put to screen. Whereas Netflix are a bit like, no, we, we trust you, man. No, 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 you, just go for you, it. You can do this. And there's a certain naivety, and that's the that's the reason I don't know if it'll last that long because it's just one of those things like the dot com boom and things like that where I think at some point the bottom might fall out of that market somewhat, and the Netflix. Uh, execs are going to have to then start applying a 
uh, a similar mindset. What's the what's different uh, with the with the model? Obviously, is that the studio in this case Netflix is also the cinema owner. Yeah. Whereas there was a separation of church and state to a degree, I guess, mm. before with with film studios and, and cinema owners. Although I understand there's some sort of law recently passed in the states where that's going to be that that boundary is about to be abolished. Right. And you'll have studio-owned theatres. Um, people can write in and tell me I'm completely wrong, but <laughs> it's it's a, it's a half it's a half-formed memory stroke opinion. Uh, and I think Netflix has that advantage where the money is coming in directly from the audiences, and there's no middleman yeah playing any part of that. So they do have the freedom. How long that lasts just depends on whether they're able to keep churning out quality stuff. And to be honest, I like it. I love this see what sticks approach because there are so many fucking oddities um and the success of things like this and weirdly the adam sandler films mm. uh which apparently just do absolute fucking gangbusters i'm yeah. guessing largely in the states and other countries with bad senses of humor mm. um, <laughs> um but they, they they do amazingly well and that allows some of these weirder smaller projects to to, to creep through there's a lot of daring stuff that pops up on Netflix. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just all for it as long as it lasts. Well, as long as the, it's good. I mean, that's the only parameter. Yeah. You know, it, it's quite funny. Again, um, it's almost as if we planned it because when our early uh, podcast episodes, we're talking about Netflix and its place in the world. And it was stuff like Bright. <laughs> and the Cloverfield paradox, yeah, and uh, the, the, you know, so it was that was when finding like, its feet. Was like, you know, oh my was, god, there's a good Netflix. Yeah, yeah, my god, this, <laughs> I couldn't believe that this actually could be something worth watching. Um, and now we're it's it's starting to mature. We're starting to see these things uh, sort of come to fruition. Um, and our announcement is for the next episode um, that we'll make. We're going to be doing a movie called Uncut Gems, um, which is the next Safdie brothers. Uh, film we've already didn't done a good time as as, as one of our other episodes uh, but this is a, a this has a, a double life with netflix and with the a24 yes. so it's uh, being shown in cinemas at the moment but around the 29th the uk gets an exclusive deal north america doesn't get it um where we can where we can watch it and i think we're gonna... that's what happened with annihilation as well exactly didn't it? Yeah. yeah yeah so it's um and uh, yeah that's what we're gonna do there it's a Sandler film on Netflix, but hopefully, you know, I won't think it's crap as some of the other ones that he's done. Um, but yeah, yeah this is this isn't a Happy Gilmore production. This no, is a... no, no, definitely, definitely something different. Um, cool stuff. So should we is, is should we draw a line under the Irishman then? I think we should draw a line under the Irishman. I think that we should um, give it our I th- well. I can tell from our ratings. I can tell from your uh, <laughs> erection that it's. Uh, it's got it's got that's McCartney. Sorry. Yeah, it has that's, that's basically a technically a, a third te- thumb technically up. Technically a third thumb up. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, McCartney and uh, and one Linda. What an impressive thumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yes, I, I I give it a more reserved a McCartney. more reserved thumb. I do give it a, I do give it a McCartney, but yeah. Um, yeah. As I think, very no, much no, no, no. Sorry, the definition of McCartney is we're both giving a thumbs up. So yeah, yeah but it, it can't be a McCartney without you. I thought you McCartney can't give it a reserve. McCartney, McCartney was two thumbs up. It is, but your thumb and my thumb 
become oh, not like the two e- thumbs. Not like an Ebert. No, 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 no. Your like, thumb and my thumb becomes mutually, the McCartney. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I see. Okay. That's the. Um... So okay, so McCartney's left hand is very <laughs> enthusiastically giving the thumb up. And mine is more a Tom Hardy in Mad Max. More reticent. A slightly thumb. more like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much, I'm on Chris's, you know, first Chris, uh, Chris Schilling's wavelength in terms of admiring it rather than loving it. Um, by comparison, uh, a few days prior, I watched um, Bong Joon-ho's um, Parasite, the one that's got all the Oscar raves and could stand to be one of the first international best film winners. And mm. it's just, it's absolutely warranted, man. I mean, that that film is something else. Yeah, not cool that we can't really watch it before No, the... Is it before the Oscars or is it... Oh, no, the nomination. So it's going to be in between, I think... Yeah, I, I imagine sure it's going to be on streaming services. Effectively, it makes you feel kind of like shit to see something get Oscar nommed and you can't even see it yet. No. So it's kind of a bit of a weird one. No, it's, it is it is a weird one, but holy shit, it's it's just... Worth the wait. It's worth the wait. It's it's so good. And that was a film that I just like wholehearted. It was like I was gripped and I wholeheartedly gave myself over to it. I thought it was fantastic. Well, and I believe it is going to have a life on Netflix. So, um, oh yes, we should. Um, we well, should. He, he um, was the he was the director of of Okja. So there there is an existing of uh, course. and Snowpiercer and, and Snowpiercer, which yeah, is getting its own show. And yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a wonderful, wonderful director. Memories of a murder is. On my to watch list, I not got to got to watch it. It's it's, um, it's the Korean zodiac is the best way to describe ooh, it. Oh, okay, fantastic. That's great. Um, cool. Um, so usually at this stage we do a quiz. We do. Uh, I contacted you before. I said I had a, I've got an idea for a quiz. <laughs> I got an idea for a quiz, and uh, it's very much inspired. Be by... gentle with me. I'm but untarnished in the ways of doing a quiz on this I think podcast. I think you'll like this one. So, obviously, the Irishman is starting to set a new precedent that when we flash back to younger um, versions of a character, mm. the same actor is playing the younger version of the character. Right. But what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the typical precedent, Alex? That a different actor plays? That's right. And sometimes a famous actor will play the young version as well as a famous actor playing the old version. Okay, I see where this is going. I've got ten films here. Ten films. Where two fairly famous actors uh, portray the same, have portrayed the same character. It was brought to my attention that in one of these cases it's not in the same film and I've sort of transgressed my own rule set here. Uh, but, I can be open-minded, but it, it's it's only one. It's a, and it's a very easy one. Okay. Uh, but the idea is that basically there are three points on offer Ooh. per question. Are you going to keep? Think I'm 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 the worst keep at score, keeping score. I'm, I'm very good at such duties. So I'm going to give you the character name, right? And if you are then able to tell me the name of the older and younger actor, yeah. and the film itself, right? You'll get your three points. And with the- if I have to give you the name of the film. Then you will get two points if you get two both points, actors. Yeah. If you have to tell the name of the older actor, then you'll get one point. Yeah, cool. Um, and the so, other way around for the younger, you know. yeah, or vice yeah, versa. Okay, yeah, yeah. Cool. Uh, the stakes are incredibly low because you're in competition with nobody. Okay, great. But um, as, I as can a, only do amazingly. So, but as, as a rough benchmark, I did try this around the office earlier today. Yeah, uh, and they collectively acquitted themselves surprisingly well. I thought. So I want to see. Well, that's just more pressure. Well, I'm going to start soft. Okay, you're good. uh, And say, 
uh, Indiana Jones. So River Phoenix and Harrison Ford in, in Last Crusade. Last Crusade. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, that's good. And there's another easy one. And this is the one where it's not the same film, but Han Solo. So um, it's Aaron Aaron Reich. That's, this is the thing. I've forgotten his name already. His name. It's the best bit. Um, and uh, and Harrison Ford again. Yes. Solo and any of the and films. Of the he, any ones. of the films that he's in. Can I have another stab at his name? Aaron. Aaron something. E H R E N appears in it. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> Can I just have half a point for him? I've definitely got. Uh, I'm just going to give you two. Okay. Uh, Harrison Ford and Alden Ehrenreich. Alden Ehrenreich. Okay. I think that's Aaron. Aaron. I think that's pretty unfair to not get a point for that one. But I'll I'll leave you to it. You get two. <sighs> All right. Next character is Patches O'Houlihan. Patches O'Houlihan. So Rip Torn. It's Dodgeball. Very good. And it's the guy that is the Simpsons guy. That's right. Hank Azaria. That's correct. Excellent. Yes. It's the full three. Well Hold done. Uh, next is Agent K. Uh, Agent K. It's a men in black. Three. Correct. And Josh Brolin. Yes. And Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. That's slightly trickier now. Ooh. Howard Stark. Howard Stark. Okay, so we've got... Oh, actually, I think, knowing one of your favourite shows of all time, you might find this easier than some. Tony Slattery. No, not Tony Slattery. No, That's what someone said at work as Oh, well. no, something really Tony Slattery. Oh, no. Tony Slattery would be an incredible choice for it Howard Stark. It would be Stark. a great choice. Um, let's go Dominic Cooper. Yes. Um, as I've messed that one up. That's all right. Uh, Slattery's right. Slattery's right. John Slattery. Correct. And Dominic Cooper. For a bonus point, yeah. and I don't think you will, but do you know who played Howard Stark in the first Iron Man? No, I don't. I, so I should know that one. It's a good, uh, it, good it, quiz. Yeah, a chap called Gerard Sanders. Yeah. Never to be seen of again. Uh, very good. Tony Slattery. Tony yeah, Slattery. What Amazing. A prick. <laughs> <laughs> I okay. got there in the end. Yeah. I got there in the Next end. Next character is Ed Bloom. Oh, drawing, but I need the film. Big Fish. Oh, Big Fish will be... Oh. It's McGregor's the son, isn't he? Is McGregor the son? Is it Brian Cox is the older... Is it no. Brian Cox is the older... Although no. I can see the similarities. Um... No, I'm going to think I'm going to crash and burn on this one. Big fish. Stick with your instincts. So, Ewan McGregor. Yep. Is one. Yeah, he plays the younger version. He played the younger oh. version. To put you out of misery, it was Albert Finney. Albert Finney. It was there. It was there somewhere, but that's fine. One point. All right, the next character is simply called Joe. Joe. Shout out to Ash at work who actually got this. Well done. Just from Joe. Hmm. Would you like the film? It can't be. Blade Runner. 
but it, he, he's a robot, so you don't see. You're in the right there. genre. Joe. No, go on, give me the film. The film is Looper. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, um, Bruce Willis. Yep. And Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Very good. Two points. <laughs> well done, Ash. If you, uh, listen, if you listen. Do they listen to this? Probably not. Probably not. Prick. <laughs> <laughs> he will now. Um, Richie Tozier. Oh, man. I'm so terrible with character names. Me too. Yeah. This is why I'm glad I'm doing the quiz. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I have to give me the movie. Uh, the movie is It, Chapter 2. Oh, man. It's anyone's guess, isn't it? Um, and I'm not going to know the kid's name. He's a very um, successful young actor. Yeah. So he's probably the Stranger Things kid. Um, which I don't know any of their names, so that's that's a non-thing. So Stranger Things kid mm-hmm. becomes Bill Hader. Yes, he does. That is a complete pull-out of he the... He does. Uh, uh, Stranger Things kid is called Finn Wolfhard. Do I get any points for Stranger Things kid? You get a, uh, a little... A nod. <laughs> a, a nod and a wink. A, a tip of the cat. A tip of the... <laughs> um, the next character... Mm. Real person. It's called Gia Karangi or Karangi. Karangi or Karangi? Gia Karangi. No, honoured movie. The film is called Gia. <laughs> no, I don't think I was going to get this one. It's about, about one of America's first supermodels. No, I definitely won't get it. The older version was played by Angelina Jolie. Ah, of course. Maybe I went too quickly into that. Yeah. Who yeah, do you, who do you think? Very famous young actress who would make for a good young. Jolie. Hmm. Kira Knightley. No. Who? Mila Kunis. Ah, nice. That was, that was a great question. And then we'll end on an easy one. Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Ian Holm. Yep. Is the older Baggins. And uh, Martin Freeman. And what's the film? Oh, The Hobbit. Oh, I don't know. Desolation of Smaug. I think it's the first one, isn't it? An unexpected oh, okay. journey, isn't unexpected it? I'll take journey. The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, The for Hobbit. Us, is... For us, three points. I think you acquitted yourself incredibly well there. So that's 5, 8, 11, 14, 15, 17, 18, 21 of a possible 30, I believe. I'll take that. That's yeah. not bad. That's that's a good, that's a good total. I th- yeah, I think you were definitely around the same as the guys at work. Around so, the same. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take you've, that. Yeah, you've definitely done incredibly well there. Excellent. Thank you. Well done. Excellent. Thank you for doing a quiz. No that's worries. Cool. I like that one. Very nice. Um, and I suppose that brings us kind of towards the towards the end of our of our podcast no um, news no no recommendations so i had a thought about news live meeting about that everybody gather around ben meeting because we've taken so long between these episodes you listen back to them and the film conversation makes total sense you can watch these films whenever but then the news dates one it. of the exactly shall we give up on you news? want these to have a, a timely timeless quality don't you <laughs> 
I want them you want to, to share exist. these conversations with generations <laughs> to come. I want them to be archaeologically um, potent. Fair enough. <laughs> and um, I think that we should give a quick recommendation, though, just really before we go, if there's anything that has been. Um, you go first. I'm just going to try and remind myself. Um, I this. am going to go for Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Um, it's one that I have. Um, we can't do on the podcast because it doesn't fall within the rules of being a film <laughs> um, or on a service that we cover. But um, I highly, highly recommend if you have anything but a passing um, frame of reference on the book, the film, anything to seek this out and soak it in. Um, it's... It is to all intents and purposes Watchmen 2. Yeah. I, I see why they didn't call it that, because that would be deeply confusing for the mm. TV viewing audience, but it is it, it is the sequel you, you always dreamed of, basically. If you ever thought that Watchmen didn't need one, I think it continues the story in a way that is so um, relevant to the current climate, the current sort of political climate, exactly. and the racial climate right mm. now. It has a lot of important things to say within that context while still maintaining, I think, Alan Moore's deconstruction of the superhero genre. It's a protest song. It's come at me in a place in my life where I was just very down on politics and feeling like maybe art isn't representing where I feel right now, the kind of disenfranchised uh, sort of feeling that I have at the moment. And it's basically a show of kind of about that about what would happen if certain sort of strains of thought were allowed to carry on growing you know these cancers are allowing to be unchecked what you know what will happen how will we come back at it and do the people fighting have it in them to to carry it off obviously no spoilers but it really does it, it really does um Ask that question of a viewer and and character. It 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 introduces fantastic new characters while doing such justice to classic Watchmen characters. Exactly, exactly. And Night um, Owl very conspicuous by his absence. Mm, really, um, but that but that aside, um, I, I think I don't I don't know if you're among the many people voicing this, but with the confirmation that Damon Lindelof has said no more, no more. Everyone sort of breathed a sigh of relief. It makes it even more perfect. I'm just, I'm just so happy that it's a one and done. I, yeah. really, I, I I sincerely hope it stays that way. Yeah. Or if he comes back down the line, that he has as much to say as he did with this. But I don't like the idea that he would be, you know, that a pile of money would just be dropped on his desk and he goes, all mm. right, I'll go ahead with it. It just really felt that maybe this was something he's, he's had bubbling away for some time. Exactly. Um, and he well, had, it, it makes sense. He had something to say. Um, and it really rare. feels like I, I hear so many good things about the leftovers, which was a very tight three series arc that had a direction, knew where it was going. And I think the Damon Lindelof of the Lost Days is very that demon has very much been exercised. He's learned, he's learned he and really grown. Has. We all have. Um, it, we can now fully come out and sort of, you know, even the most diehard Lost fans, we can now come out and say that yeah, that was. 
and just capped off by just sort of wall to wall great performances. Really it great, as well. really great, and um, all the awards and everything coming at it. Believe the hype on this one, believe, um, believe. and and I think also just don't don't hesitate on it. Don't do other things before. Just get it watched. Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. I've got a, I've got a whole mess of stuff because obviously it's been a long time since we've we've been on. Um, one thing I've really enjoyed is there's a subtle subgenre that's popped up on Netflix and it's um, comedy sci-fi. Mm-hmm. There are three great examples of this, I think. Uh, Maniac, which I finally watched mm. um, with um, Emma Stone yeah, and Jonah great. Hill. Just, I just thought that had such a fantastically bizarre sense of humour. Just mm. really appealed to me. Almost sort of Python-esque. Even... even um, Vic and Bob at times. Yeah. When Jonah Hill is that weird sort of Icelandic scientist who has, <laughs> who's prepared a small statement and it's literally the size of a postage stamp. Like, that is my humour, like, yeah. through and through. And Kerry Fukunabe just fucking smashes the aesthetic of it as well. I think yeah. I'm absolutely in love with that, um, the, the Japanese chain-smoking scientist in that show. Like, she's incredible. Right. Even though she's just, you know, a character... I, just, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know who the actress is. I just, I <laughs> just that the, yeah. the character. Done very rarely really well. I love a character. Um, living with yourself. What's better than one Paul Rudd? Two Paul Rudds. <laughs> Two Paul Rudds. It's a charm overload. It's wonderful. Um, and Ashley and B representing as well mm-hmm. in that, which yeah, is yeah. old yeah, friend yeah. of yours. Old I understand. Mine, yeah. Name drop. Plop. And and finally, Russian Doll. Ah yes, big fan of the um, of that actress yes. in everything she's been in. Enough to remember her name. Natasha Leon. There you go. <laughs> Tried to catch me out there. No, because I didn't. I was like, I, I, I'm always forgetting names. But I really love that, they, again, they're allowing those mm. sort of shows to, 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 to breathe that you probably wouldn't get on mainstream TV. Absolutely. There's no real need to recommend um, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance or The Witcher to you because I think everyone's watched those. Uh, and if you haven't, do. The Witcher is just pulpy good fun from start to finish. Yeah. It's People are like, oh, it's the next Game of Thrones, but I think it's 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 dafter and and joyously so. I think Henry Cavill has found the absolute role of a lifetime. I've seen a few articles that are, are quite patronising, actually, that right. say he's better than this. He could be doing better things. He has such a capacity for for, for <laughs> humour and you know demonstrating the man from Uncle. I'm like, but he's doing it all there. Yeah, like, yeah. He's being muscular. He's saying very little, but he he can do a lot with very little and over that course that that series I just absolutely grew to love Henry Cavill mm. more he's so than great, a, cheeks, great hasn't he? cheeks really great, great cheeks. expressive gives cheeks. good cheek but or, I mean after Mission Impossible as well I was like no nah, he's he, he's got it and I, yeah. and I and I really respect the fact that he's a dyed in the wool nerd as well mm. who, who he comes to these things from a, from a position of not where he's he's not Alec Guinnessing yet he's like oh you know you you can write this stuff, but you can't say it. Yeah, he he's joyously like, I played The Witcher three for three hundred hours. I I want to be this character. Yeah. There's, there's a certain joy in that, and um, you you kind of got Yaskia who's come out of the pages of horrible histories almost, and feels completely at odds with the tone of the show, but weirdly, curiously, it all works. I think uh, um going back to Cavill, I think he's handled the awful mess DC are making of those characters with. A lot of grace, yeah. A lot more grace than Affleck, and I, I think I think he deserves another chance because I think Man of Steel was 
given a, a, a rough ride. I, I think that's not a bad film, and I think maybe take it away from Snyder, but allow him to be Superman again and give him another I think crack. There's a, I think there's a good story to be told mm. there, and I think there's one that's very pertinent, again, to the current climate. Put a bit of Cavill love there. A bit of Cavill love there. Excellent. Um, as I've said, Dark Crusade Resistance is just, it's a 10-hour film. It's like if you've been, you've been waiting this long for a Dark Crystal sequel, you effectively get five of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, it's it's incredibly voiced. The puppeteering, I'm, I'm really happy we're entering this new age of of, of puppetry. Um, you know, Baby Yoda's obviously getting a shit ton of love now. Yeah. And the reason is, is because he's so tangible. You see in The Mandalorian, people lift him up and mm. play with his ears and stroke his head and yeah, yeah. that feeling. I, I saw a tweet from Phil Tippett, uh, infamously the uh, dinosaur handler, from oh, Jurassic right, Park, right, and everyone right, right. says you yeah, had yeah. one job. Um, who, but he he made a lot of the the models and the characters right. in these films That's back cool. in, in the day. And he said after watching the Mandalorian, he was like, "I, I almost want to come out of." I don't know if he's retired. He kind of said something along those lines. Like, I almost want to come out of it and, and contribute to the next yeah, series because he just cool. loved the physicality of it. And I'm really glad that people are starting to realize that full CG replacement isn't the order of the day. It's no. a combination of the two. Mm. And the, when you watch the making of um, the Dark Crystal, the way that they've incorporated CG into the puppetry is so invisible and so wonderful. It's it's just to do things like blinking eyes and yeah. added expressiveness. It's just fantastic. Well, you've made a great point there and also included in one of my why... Everyone shouldn't be so harsh on the uh, Star Wars prequels. Like, you know, I've always kind of been a little bit of an apologist for them. Part of my reason is that he went down an alley with how to do a character and he made the wrong call, you know, in in in, in like the worst way, in, in like front in, front of, in front of in front of everyone, you know. And we've now all learned from it. And now if this if the prequels were to be done today, he would not do that, no. you know. So, obviously, the prequels no, aren't as no good as they... No one told him no. No one told him no. Yeah, absolutely. And no one, you know... He had, he had Rick was, McCallum... It was, yeah, basically... With a tongue firm, yeah. firmly jabbed up his ass. And a, and, a, and, a, and a checkbook. And it was like, well, why not have the entire planet be CGI? <laughs> <laughs> why not have everything they're standing on be CGI? How about... Everything you're standing on, everything you're looking at, everyone you're talking to, and everything you're holding all be CGI. Yeah. Because it can be. And if the prequels do nothing else, I know you're never going to give them a pass like I do, but there's something to be said that he did break all of that ground and now you know, we've yeah. moved on and we've realised, that, that was too far. <laughs> that was too yeah. far. Let's wind it back and let's have a look at some really tasteful uses of it. And, you know, and, and I do think that the prequels do have a, yeah. a hand to play in that. Absolutely. And that's my final point. Um, what was I going to say? So, so, I mean, I mean, and they're all kind of obvious choices. Amazon gets some love as well. The boys I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and the third season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, just continues to be this marvelous rose-tinted snapshot of a of a of a bygone era. It's almost the antithesis of the Irishman. It paints this sort of very idyllic picture of uh, America. Um, <laughs> well, well, what we'll do is to support the show. I'll make Dan tweet out all of that uh, all that, shows. that recommendation all right. puke. Yes, um, of loads of different and ones. Just, uh, just as a little I bit, did of, one. just a little bit of after carrot. Um, 
off the back of all their shows that everyone's heard of and everyone's seen, if the one that if you haven't seen it yet, um, which is like a, a lovely two that's like a lovely warm hug actually. One is um, Midnight Diner Tokyo Stories. Um, I didn't expect a second series. It got a second series, and it's just as wonderful as the first. We were very pleased. We're just the the best theme tune ever that that reliably gets my daughter to sleep every night as well. So God bless. That's cute. God bless Amoi Day. What a wonderful tune. Um, and on all four, uh, I know this hasn't quite clicked with you yet, but Joe Perra talks with you is just such a a wonderfully warm, funny show. Second series is coming very soon, but the first series, I believe, is still on um, all four. It, it'll take you a while to tune into it, mm. but um, it's it's really good natured and it's unlike anything else you've seen. So there you go. There's seventeen things to. And we will we will tweet those out um, along with reminders about uncut gems being our next yeah. episode. Um, we will try not to take another whole year. <laughs> I can't promise anything, but I think we can probably I'll safely... I'll have to in order to come up with my next 15 we'll recommendations for the next episode. <laughs> I think we can probably confirm it will be less than a year. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening um, in advance. I obviously don't know how many people have listened to it before we put it out. It's more of a... That's crazy, Alex. A, a, a um, metaphysical construct i'm putting out there the thanks that's just a preemptive preemptive gratitude yeah okay and uh it is my preemptive gratitude to you all to say thank you for listening and uh bye bye now bye 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 bye